Hello and a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. Today it's study number three in our Basic Bible Truth series. We hope these talks will help to make clear the basic tenets of the Christian faith, as outlined in the Bible, of course. So now, let's go to Brian for this week's study, which is the guarantee of our eternal security. Thanks, John. Yes, God wants us to fully rejoice in his gift of eternal life and in his blessings of peace and joy. John the Apostle wrote, These things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life, you who believe in the name of the Son of God. 1 John 5.13 Some people, however, teach the false doctrine that the Christian believer can be saved and then lost again. This error is the result of confusing salvation with service. If you read the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul talks about the possibility of being disqualified, you'll see that he's not talking about God's gift of salvation, but about serving the Lord by staying legitimately in contention for a prize, in the same way as an athlete needs to remain within the rules of the competition so as not to be barred from it. We can't compete to earn eternal life because it's a gift, But after we've received the gift, Christians strive to serve well, to earn the reward of an eternal crown. While we can be disqualified from that prize, this doesn't affect our eternal life. Believers are children of God because they're born of God. Our Heavenly Father may be disillusioned by our behaviour and our service, but we can never cease to be his children. We ask again, can disbelief or an act of misconduct or committing a crime, or any other thing, rob anyone of the salvation that's found in Christ. It's not a new assertion to say that a backslider may lose his or her salvation. For the Apostle Paul evidently debated with those who claimed just that. They raised the objection to Paul's preaching, which is implied by the opening words of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Those were Paul's words in answer. In other words, Paul must have been preaching once saved, always saved, because of the fact that some were clearly reacting against it back then, saying, Come on, Paul, do you really mean to say that someone who's known salvation by placing personal faith in Christ can then live carelessly without any fear of losing his or her salvation? If that's the case, they argued, we might as well all sin at every opportunity, if that means giving God more opportunities to be gracious in forgiving our many sins. In the sixth chapter of Romans, Paul shows how wrong-headed this point of view is. He replies by saying in Romans 6 and verse 2, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? There are so many other and additional ways of assuring ourselves biblically of our eternal security in Christ. But the one that I personally find the most persuasive is the fact that the Bible teaches us that the primary salvation decision is God's and not ours, which means that any view which permits us to lose our salvation seriously underplays God's sovereignty. Jesus invited people to come to him and to rest in the knowledge of sins forgiven. In itself, that famous invitation at the end of Matthew chapter 11 invites people to stop relying on their own efforts to obtain salvation and simply come and rest in the salvation which Christ is offering as a gift. But in John chapter 6, 
the Lord pulls the curtain back further to reveal something of the bigger picture of what's involved in a sinner coming to Christ. He says in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So standing behind our coming to Christ in personal faith is God's sovereign choice of each one of us who believes on the Lord Jesus. We find additional clarity on this point in the letter to the Ephesians and its opening verses. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. A moment's reflection ought to show us that if these things are so, if the matter of our salvation and eternal destiny has been of concern to God from before the foundation of the world, then it's highly unlikely that we should be able to toss it away on a whim or even by a later quite deliberate rejection. Loss of faith in a believer is tragic and brings about a loss of enjoyment of the assurance of salvation. But salvation itself, as God's sovereign gift, remains, having been underwritten by God's own choice from before this universe came into being. The outcome is already finalised in God's purpose – As far as God is concerned, it's as if we're already seated and glorified with Christ. Of course, this is what Paul consistently taught. You remember, he taught the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But just suppose for a moment that the gift of salvation is subsequently conditional upon our own good works. Then we can't possibly know if we've done well enough to still keep hold of it or not. And so Paul's note of confident assurance to the jailer, you will be saved, would then ring false. At the future, personal assessment of our life of Christian service, there will be the possibility of reward or loss of reward, depending on our performance. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says from verse 13, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Each Christian is a builder. In terms of the figure of speech Paul's using here, we either build with stuff that cannot burn or with stuff that can burn. The person building with stuff that burns is the backslider who's not following God's plan or not doing the things God wants him or her to do or who maybe is doing things that seem fine but the motivation behind them is all wrong. At that future personal assessment of our Christian service which we'll each have with Christ there will be a fiery testing of our works. It'll be the flame test. If it burns, it wasn't any good. Imagine the worst then that could happen for a Christian They watch all their life's works go up in smoke. They lose, therefore, all their potential reward. There's nothing left for them to be rewarded for. Nothing has withstood the fire. But what about the individual? Did you catch Paul's reassuring words in this baseline case? If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Ah, thank God for that. So then, here's what we're seeing from our Bibles. 
there are rewards for faithful service which we may fail to gain as distinct from the gift of salvation itself. Salvation itself is not a reward. It cannot be lost. But we may in some sense suffer loss. That means the loss of potential rewards we may have gained if we'd lived a pleasing life to God's glory. When a person professes faith in Christ, as the Apostle Peter famously did when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When someone professes faith like that, he or she also is built by Christ into his church and is in fact baptised by Christ in the Holy Spirit into that church which is known biblically as Christ's body. This is the Lord's action. And in this case, this is confirmed by the stated fact that the greatest known power could not overpower Christ's church. We should check that again. It comes from the Lord's words in Matthew 16 and verse 18. Here they are once more. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Did you get that? After confirming his identity to Peter while at Caesarea Philippi, Christ proceeded to state the glorious purpose he was about, namely building his church, comprised of all true believers of this age of grace. Then he added that nothing, no power, not even the greatest power known to the ancient world, the power of death and the underworld, no power could defeat this great divine purpose. Psalm 16 verse 10 had prophesied that Christ's soul in death went down into Sheol or Hades, the realm of the dead. But that same disciple we've mentioned earlier, Peter, says later in his preaching to the Jews in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus couldn't possibly be held there in death, but God raised him up. If God hadn't raised up Christ from the dead, if the gates of Hades had not been forced to yield for him, then this great church-building purpose of the ages would have been overpowered. But it wasn't, nor could it be. Praise God for that. Surely this fact of the gates of Hades and death not being able to overpower or oppose Christ's purpose in his church, surely that also removes any possibility of the threat of being dismembered from that body, that church. Who's going to mutilate or maim Christ's body? Our place in the body of Christ is absolutely secured at conversion. Through the baptism in the Spirit, which takes place automatically for each believer as they receive Christ, check it out from 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, we are then incorporated eternally into the body of Christ, which remains without any defect whatsoever. Again, check out Ephesians 5 and verse 27 about that. In the same way that we might make use of recognised landmarks in giving someone directions, it's just as necessary to identify the Bible's main or landmark teachings and then navigate our way around individual and sometimes difficult Bible verses in relation to these landmarks. If our understanding of a particular text seems to be at odds with one of the Bible's main teachings, it may indicate that the text should be related to a different teaching instead. One such landmark teaching is that a truly born-again person through faith in Jesus is secure in God's keeping so far as his salvation from eternal judgment is concerned. Such a person is seen as in Christ, a status granted when he or she first believed. But there's another equally clear landmark teaching 
which is that as the believer travels daily nearer his assured heavenly home, he or she is accountable to the Lord Jesus for their response to the will of God. These two landmark biblical teachings are distinct but complementary. One line gives the believer utmost assurance of salvation from his deserved eternal judgment in the lake of fire, but the other establishes that such grace and salvation must not be lightly regarded. We need to add on our part all diligence in our faith, supplying virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness and love of the brethren. Now, just a reminder that if you'd like to receive one of the books for this series, please write in, making sure to let us have your postal address, and ask for the title, Basic Bible Truths. If you like, we can put you on our mailing list to receive new books automatically as they come out. And if you'd like to do that, just let us know. You can order uh, this booklet, though, by email or by post. And here's our address. Uh, Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know as well that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into ebooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. If you type Search for Truth series into the search box, you should find them. But if there's any difficulty, use the author's name as well. Also, look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org. This will give you another way of accessing again what you first heard here on the radio. It's been a pleasure to have your company today. We've uh, got to finish now, but I hope you'll be able to join us again next week, uh, God willing. So, until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So, goodbye, and may God richly bless you.